It is the 11 Dubcast. I am Johnny. He is Andy. We are back for another week of great summer dubcasting. And that means that we're going to talk about pretty much anything but actual sports being played. <laughs> so, so we're going to start off. We're going to start off with something that we teased a little bit last week, which is that the NCAA uh, was going to have a vote to talk about what things look like going forward in terms of getting people back on campus and certain things up so that things in the fall, namely football, can happen. And as we, I think, kind of both expected, uh, the and Dan wrote about on the you know website, the NCAA Division One Council decided to allow on-campus voluntary, read involuntary <laughs> workouts uh, for all athletes starting June 1st. Um, I, two things I want to say about that before you know we kind of get into some of the whys and wherefores and all that kind of stuff. There's no way any of the workouts that any student athlete does after June 1st or on June 1st is in any way voluntary. Uh, that's that's just not happening. I mean, like if you're expected to be there, I can't imagine any major coach uh, in any you know significant sport saying like, ah, if you feel like it, you know, <laughs> like they're gonna want. <laughs> Everybody on there immediately doing everything they possibly can, um, you know, as soon as possible. The second thing I want to say, and this is something that I was actually listening to uh, ESPN radio a little bit earlier today. One of the things that they point out is, you know, look, if, if something happens in the course of students coming back on campus where somebody gets uh, coronavirus and, you know, it ends up spreading even or a student expresses some kind of like doubt or misgivings about coming back on June 1st or even in June at all, uh, they don't really have a whole lot of protection, right? Like th this is a situation where a student athlete is kind of out on a limb. This is not a situation where if it's a, you know, professional baseball player or football player or hockey player, or basketball players, like, hey, I've got this union who's going to back me up. Uh, college athletes don't have that. And they can be, you know, let basically like not have their scholarships renewed. They can kind of be cut loose, uh, if they cause too much of an issue, I, I just think they're in a really vulnerable state right now. And, you know, I think most college athletes, especially like football players, will be chomping out the bit to get back into the swing of things. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't know, Andy. I, I just think it's a little it's a it's kind of a strange situation because of the amount of power that both colleges and their coaches have over the, the athletes in these situations. Yeah, the only thing I, I think that probably mitigates that to some extent is people are on, on high receive right now about, I mean, I think just a lot of sensitivities, um, you know, how the, the student athlete has more power, so to speak now than they've had in ages, just because they have a megaphone. So, sure. you know, if, if a Justin Fields, not that, not, not that he would, but with his 400,000 Instagram followers or whatnot, put Ohio state on blast for putting students as an example, um, you know, in a compromising situation with, with regard to COVID-19 or, or whatever else, you know, that's, that's some heavy heat. So while they're not, you know, you're, you're right, there isn't the kind of collective, um, you know, unionization that you might see on, on a pro sport or other leagues. Um, I, I do think that the student athlete has a bigger voice now than they've probably ever had. And of course, it's kind of funny when you started talking about that. I was thinking back to our conversation a week or so ago about the the, the name, image, and likeness um, changes and whether or not that actually spurs 
some sort of uh, student athlete unionization like Northwestern um, right. athletes tried to get going a few years back. You know, it's because this is one of those test cases where you're like, huh, I wonder what that would be like if that sort of effort had taken hold um, when when it got going a few years ago. I, but your your previous point about, I mean, it's going to be all hands on deck, right? So, no, yeah, and and, and I think the, I think the athletes will most for the most part be on board with that. I mean, you've you've been seeing and uh, Dan Hope had a great piece with Quincy Avery earlier in the week uh, about working with athletes like Justin Fields during uh, the lockdowns as much as they can and so on. So you know these guys, especially the your tier one guys, guys that know they're in the depth chart, uh, have been you know, doing, I bet, as much as they can with whatever resources are available to them. Um, and, and they're going to be chomping at the bit to get back to it. And, and so that'll be an interesting, I, I'm really curious to see how they spin this up and you know, what all teams do and, and are able to do and how far behind, like, you know, if you're a coach Mick and, and you would normally have been observing these guys in the room all summer long or all spring long, we're not in the summer yet, technically, but all spring long, uh, you know, what, what do these guys look like when they finally get back to campus here in 10 days time? Right. Um, that, that'll be really interesting to see how far off the mark some of these machines are. My guess is that at programs like Ohio State, not all that far because <laughs> these, these student athletes have learned the system and how to eat right and, and all that sort of thing. It's probably food more so than the strength training that, uh, you know, might, might trip them up. I know it would be in my case. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see what happens. happens. I know in my case, food has been tripping me up for the past. Yeah. Um, yeah. I got pissed off about something uh, last night and I was like, you know what? I was going to make, you know, a, a Greek chicken salad. Instead we're getting Donato's. So that's, that's just how that ended up working out, which is fine. I mean, it's, it's you gotta yep. do what you gotta do. We, um, I, I was going to say we, and by we, I mean the stunning Mrs. Vance baked, um, let's see, double raisin cookies and chocolate ooh. chip scones today. We Fantastic. grilled certified Angus beef, New York strips with uh, also uh, corn on the cob and, and baked potatoes. So, I mean, oh, I would say all in all, you know, I've consumed about <laughs> 97,000 calories just today. So, That's incredible. hey, you um, know, smoke them if you got them. Hey, I got I got the brats today, and I'm I'm, I'm oh, pretty nice. excited to put those on in the next few days. Here, this should be good. Um, you know what's interesting to me about this is that I think because so much of this conversation is centered around football, and mm-hmm. in this case, I think it's completely warranted and justified because I, when you've got a sport like football that is going to involve literally over a hundred you know student athletes like you're talking about a very very large population that you're going to try to manage and, and deal with i really think that the football athlete you know college student athlete for football is going to have some considerations that are going to be way different than if it was a basketball team or a volleyball team or the rowing yeah. team because just the the volume of people involved mm-hmm. is really kind of unique uh, in sports and in college sports. So that's what I actually find most interesting about this is because, you know, when we have conversations around college sports and issues impacting college sports, we drift towards football because it's the one that drives all the money and the conversation and all this other stuff. It's the most popular sport, all this other thing. Uh, but in this case, I feel like people may not be talking about the logistical issues enough because to me, that's the sport that's going to require the most uh, planning and, mm-hmm. you know, figuring things out, particularly when it comes to the fall. I mean, we, they were talking, um, you know, to, to Michigan's, I think, AD today, and they were asking, you know, like, 
what's going to happen is like, well, if we don't have students back, we're not going to have football. That was the president. Actually, was that was the president. That was, there you go. That was the president of the university says, and, and who's an was, immun- uh, immunologist, by the way, someone <laughs> who actually is a trained medical doctor in immunology was saying that, that no kind of blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody else is kind of, I mean, I think, uh, um, Gordon Gee, who, you know, was m- my favorite university president in the history of university presidents was pretty much on board saying, we'll have college football. If I got to strap up and go play myself, yeah. Uh, and then you contrast that with uh, this. Yeah, I thought that was wild. That's an immuno- immunologist. And I think the quote was, if there is no on-campus instruction, there won't be intercollegiate athletics, at least right. for Michigan. Which is a fair take. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. And it's, look, the reason why the Michigan president is saying that is because when you're putting 110,000 people in a stadium and you have hundreds of people on the sidelines, logistically, that is a huge challenge if you're dealing with a pandemic. That's just it. And of course, the Michigan, you know, apparatus is going to have to try to deal with that. That's something they're going to have to try to wrap their heads around. And I get why you would say that because that's that's an incredibly difficult thing to kind of to figure out. Um, I think, look, I think ultimately they're going to get to the point where this is going to be able to happen, and they're going to start, you know, the football schedule on time. It may have to be altered. I don't see any major colleges completely backing out. Um, but you know, a lot of it is just so unknown because you don't know what's going to happen the next three or four months. If if cases continue to keep going down and this thing flattens out and, you know, all the efforts that we've done at social distancing and staying at home, that works out. Awesome. If on the other hand, if Memorial Day weekend screws us and this thing pops right back up again in the middle of June, um, I don't know. I, I don't know what that's going to look like. Well, I so, mean, you know, contrast the the comments from the University of Michigan uh, to Joe Klatt, uh, Fox Sports college football insider. This, this was his, his comment uh, Saturday. So the 2020 season is 100% happening. Fans <laughs> will be in the stands to some capacity at most locations. The uh-huh. season will start on time. I mean, Joel's going – Joel's going all in, and uh, Joel, Joel's a smart guy. He's so a smart guy. I, I mean, I find that interesting. But I think, I mean, I don't think that's a hot take. I think it's a reasonable take because the money, the money train. And I'm not one of these guys that's always like, oh, it's all about the money. But in this I, case, you know yeah. what? It's a lot about the money. <laughs> I understand what you're saying. I think it's a hot a billion... take because nobody knows what's going to happen in the next two months. Well, if, that's true. If and and, and, and hey, up again. The fall, the fall second wave or whatnot, you know, that's the other thing is, you know, right. there's a lot of been a lot of discussion throughout about when, when we see a resurgence in, in the fall, uh, if that happens, then, you know, what do we see states go back again on lockdowns like we did here in March? Um, you know, that, that changes the dynamics a lot. And I saw this somewhere. I wish I could remember whose tweet this was because I'd, I'd credit it, but, you know, made the point. It's like, okay, what happens if um, a Buckeye or a Wolverine player, you know, in, in the week uh, before the game tests positive for right. COVID-19? Exactly. So do they reschedule that game? Do they, you know, because in theory, you've got to quarantine, what, the whole team? Or, yeah, or, and somebody's, I got to tell you something, Manny, somebody is going to test positive at some point, and probably a lot of somebody's. And sure. yes. what's interesting to me, this is my last point on this, is that, first of all, I think that's inevitable. I, I, that is 100% going to happen. It's it, People will have to deal with it. I, I think the danger is sometimes is that people 
have this like magical thinking where it's like, okay, well, if we get to this point, there's no way we can slide back. Like there's mm-hmm. just no way. So if we get these kids on campus, if they start practicing, we start talking about the season, like it's going to happen, then we're good because there's no way they would backtrack and say, well, hang on, we can't do this anymore. And I don't think that's true. I think there is still a possibility that you can get kids on campus. You can do these voluntary slash involuntary workouts starting June 1st. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, say, okay, this is the schedule we're going with, and these are the protocols we're going to have. And that's the plan. And that plan can get blown up in a matter of weeks. And I, I just, I think people need to understand that, that it is, you can have all these great intentions and say, yeah, football's back. And then say a couple weeks later, no, it's not. And that's going to piss some people off if that mm-hmm. happens. But that's why you have to make these hard decisions. That's what makes dealing with something like this so difficult because you don't get to just like wish what you want into existence with the virus. You don't negotiate with the virus. Like you can't yep. tell the virus that we would really love football in the fall. That would be so great. And, and, the heck, and the heck of it is, you know, the thing that's the focus for the most part has been on. And I say the focus, I mean, um, the discussion that we've all been having as fans and so on has been about, oh, will there be fans in the stands? And if so, how many? And, you know, we, we talked uh, sure. uh, a week ago um, about Gene Smith's comments about, oh, you know, maybe it's twenty five to 50,000 people in, in the shoe, you know, that sort of thing. But, but the interesting part to me isn't so much fans in the stands, ah, eh, you know what, if, if there's only 20,000 people in the shoot, I don't, I don't really care what I, what I wonder about or care about is how the disease spreads through a locker room, you know, cause you, yeah. you've read stories, you know, one, one guy on a team gets the flu, everybody in the locker room gets the flu, you know, or right. whatever it is. So we could be talking about any other, you know, upper respiratory, uh, you know, type of, 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 uh, pathogen and it just because of the close contact that these guys are in you know how do you do that you and and the way the locker rooms are set up you know you're going to rope off every other locker and if so where do those dudes go you know you don't there's just there's only so much you can do with regard to social distancing in an athletic training facility so right not to mention you know going live in practice you're you're going to be you're going to be wearing masks in practice I'm, i'm curious to see what kind of mitigations teams roll out and and so on and i'm assuming you know it's going to be some of its standard fare uh taking temperatures of everybody that comes into the facility every day and uh you know whether or not they're going to be how frequently are they testing and so on and so forth right and that's that's going to be up to individual schools to figure out how to enforce and implement all that stuff which in of itself is a whole other can of worms and i do yeah. think that it goes back to the initial conversation which is yes. like how do students if they don't feel that their university or their college is doing what they need to be doing to protect them like what's their recourse what do they do about that um you know if texas a&m which had this like yeah we're back oh, it's funny because <laughs> coronavirus isn't real if if they do that and then they come out and they start having practice with basically no restrictions, no precautions, all that. And one of the kids there is like, hey, uh, I don't want to get coronavirus. I don't yeah. want to get COVID-19. What, what are we doing about this? And then you know, Jimbo, wherever is like, uh, sorry, kid, you know, we thought, you know, you were preferred walk on and we thought we we're going to have a scholarship available. But uh, I just I don't know this year, you know, it's everything's tight. Uh, and you're aware of the coronavirus, obviously. So, you know, it's just one of those things. Like, I, I don't I don't know what that conversation looks like or what that process looks like. So, I don't know. It's it's really interesting. And here's the other thing. This kind of is a nice segue into our, our next little conversation here. This is really going to be up to a lot of these, a lot of these athletic directors and 
uh, people in charge to to lead on this. And, and luckily, Ohio State, you know, I think has a guy who is going to be very good at communicating those things and, and doing what needs to get done. Um, Andy, do you want to explain, maybe if people weren't paying too close attention, why it's kind of significant or at least interesting to Ohio State fans uh, that UCLA hired a new AD named Martin Jarman? Yeah, so I, to me, this is, a, this is a huge hire. So UCLA is one of those programs. You, you and I have bagged on USC a few times in oh, yeah. in the, God, yeah. the, the last six or eight months, and, and I just I roll my eyes when I think about it. Uh, but UCLA is another school that, you know, really should be better at a lot of things than they are. Um, you've got Westwood out your back door, big money donors, great brand, um, you, silky uniforms. It's Hollywood, baby. You know, UCLA <laughs> should be a big deal. And yet, uh, you know, not so much. Right. So you have new athletic director, Martin Jarman, who worked under Gene Smith, one of Gene's protégés. Um, and and I, you and I are in agreement that mean Gene may be the best um, and maybe best and most simultaneously underrated athletic director, at least among fans. Mm-hmm. in uh, in the business today he's just really fantastic at what he does and he's got this um ad tree we talk about coaching trees a lot and martin's one of those guys he's been at boston college hired um you know, jeff halfley is going to be you know fantastic head coach for bc and is now after three years at boston college heading west to become the next athletic director and immediately becomes the highest paid athletic director in the Pac-12, as I understand it, um, Dan Guerrero was retiring after nearly 18 years at UCLA, and so he's stepping into a pretty established department. But this is considered one of the, the hot, young, up-and-comers. And, of course, it was funny. Immediately during his like introductory press conferences, one of the questions asked by a member of the UCLA media pool was, is this just a stepping stone for you to get to Ohio State when <laughs> Gene Smith retires? And and Jarman handled it well. He's like, look, I haven't even started my job here. I'm not thinking about Ohio State. I'm thinking about UCLA, which, of course, was the right answer. Right. But for Ohio State fans, I think you should be thinking about Martin Jarman or Pat Chun or uh, Heather Like at Pitt. Um, Pat, uh, Patrick Chun's at, uh, I think, at Washington State. Does that, that sound right? Um, I think so, but- yeah. But you've got three guys, uh, three three guys. I was using as a unisex term there. Three athletic directors uh, who are part of Mean Gene's AD tree, who are out there now at Power Five programs. That's um, really impressive when you look. It's like it the is. equivalent of of having three head coaches at Power Five schools as part of your tree. That's um, just that's wild times. I, I'm I'm pretty impressed. Well, he, with okay, the depth so here's of the leadership. Thing. I was thinking about this because you you brought you know Gene Smith up and and his tree and all that. How I I did not I feel like I should know this off the top of my head, right? Like I don't, and I had to look it up. Uh, and it's not information that I think's necessarily like readily available, like put out there. Um, do you know how old Gene Smith is? I don't. I'm gonna. I mean, I would guess. guess. I, I, I would say sixty. He's actually older than that. He's uh, according to my research, and I'm just saying that according to my research, I believe right now he's 64 years old. Okay. Which, you know, that's not like shocking. Like, okay, like, yeah, he's a dude in his 60s. That's not surprising. I just didn't know. And and, and what's interesting to me is that when we have these kind of conversations, like who's going to be next, who's going to be next, a lot of it's centered around age, right? Like, okay, this person's in retirement age. I don't know how long Gene Smith is going to want to do what he's doing. 
Um, I feel like I can't really envision the guy doing it into his seventies. So, <laughs> I mean, if they're asking Martin Jarman about like, you know, is this, you know, is he, he trying to get into uh, Ohio state at some point, that's a reasonable question to ask. I think Gene Smith probably has probably five or six years left and then yep. he'll step down. Uh, and then Ohio state's going to have one hell of a search on their hands. Uh, trying to replace a guy who is just all things for all sports. And it's it's wild to me. Now, as you point out, when you have a giant tree like that, you also have a lot of people to hopefully choose from as a, as a successor. But um, I just think that day where Gene Smith will not be at Ohio State is coming sooner rather than later. And I didn't really think about it, honestly, until just, you know, recently where I was like, how old is this dude? How, you know, like he's been at Ohio State for a while, but like, what does this actually mean for the future? So yeah, it's pretty wild. You, he's so he's if if my research is correct, um, he's been an athletic director somewhere for thirty four years. It's a long time. It's uh, a so long he, time. He's Eastern Michigan for about seven years. Looks like then uh, Iowa State for seven, Arizona State for five, and then he's been at Ohio State now fifteen years. Yeah. Um, which you know, on on one hand, I guess I'm. I'm old enough as, as you are too to remember Andy Geiger and and yep. uh, you know the his his tenure and it seemed like you know he was there forever and a day, um, and so so Gene's still the and to some extent you know the new athletic director and it's like wow 15 years has gone by pretty fast that's right and and what I think is pretty crazy you know so you just look at the number of head coaches that he has hired and of course that comes to some extent with being um, you know somewhere 15 years you're going to have you're going to hire some head coaches but he's hired. Uh, some of the best head coaches, football, basketball. He's had two home run head football coach hires now, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I, I, you know, fantastic basketball coaching hires. Um, and during his tenure, if I've got this right, he his, he's had teams under his supervision that have won eight NCAA national titles. Uh, of course, that doesn't include synchronized swimming, which they win every year um, right. and have <laughs> since the dawn of time. But so you've had football, wrestling, volleyball, um, three women's titles in rowing and and one co-ed title in fencing. I mean, that's you not know, bad. that's not bad. You look at um, you know facilities. You know, uh, setting aside our take uh, hot take counter take a week ago about Ohio <laughs> Stadium, right? Uh, you know, built some pretty great facilities. The athletic campus has come a long way. I mean, big shoes to follow. And the good news being, you've got three um power five ADs in his tree to choose from if if that's you know if and maybe there's somebody on staff now that gets promoted within who knows but you've got options which I think is a good thing I will say and that is a good thing and I think there are a number of you know up and coming ADs who would do a great job at Ohio State um but what I will also say is that I would hope that and this goes back to conversations that we've had um in previous podcasts, but I would hope that he would stick around for hopefully that five or six more years, because I, I really do think that with the media landscape changing the way it's going to be changing and just some of the transitional things that's going to happen as a result of the fallout for you know COVID-19 and all this other stuff, I want him to be in that position for as long as possible right mm-hmm. now. Not that I don't think other people could do the job. I, I think other people can, and I think they'll, you know, eventually step in and they'll find somebody who's great. Uh, but you want a dude who's like steady Eddie and, and knows exactly how to like, you know, navigate these things because it's hard. It's a really hard job. 
Um, and he hasn't done everything perfectly. He's made mistakes, but you know, I just think that at this point in time, you want to keep that dude for as long as humanly possible. So Absolutely. I just, I thought that was really interesting. I, you know, because that's, you know, UCLA, as you pointed out, should be a high profile job, right? It should be a really like nationally known brand. And they, they've tried, I think they've, you know, they've brought in guys for their football team to try to elevate it. It just has not worked out very well mm-hmm. for them. Um, but I agree with you. I, I, I think that's an interesting hire and I hope that uh, German does, you know, some good things for them. Yeah. Um, and he better because he's getting paid. <laughs> that dude's got cash now, so he he's, he needs to deliver. Um, last thing I want to talk about real quick: we actually had some live sports on television today. Did you watch the uh, Peyton Manning, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, uh, Tom I, I Brady? Watched, uh, I watched highlights via via Twitter dot com, which is this um, hot new website you may have heard of. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I have to say. Um, Golf is one of those sports that I watch very sporadically. So I love, I love highlights this is one of the things that I love about like when sports center was really in its heyday. Um, and, and it wasn't assumed that you had just been watching all sports all the time. So I enjoy highlights. Um, yeah. and I love some of the history of golf. I've read some really great books over the years about the masters and, and, and Augusta national and, and so on. But, um, watching golf on television, I feel the same way I do about NASCAR. It's one of those things that I, I enjoy in fits and starts, and I probably enjoy the live product better than I do the live experience better than I do watching it on television, just because it's, you know, there's a social aspect to going sure. to one of these matches and that sort of thing. Um, but the concept of this actually kind of intrigued me, you know, Phil, Phil and, and Tiger with Peyton and, uh, and Tampa, Tampa Tom. Um, <laughs> well, what's pretty- funny about that is that Tom Brady, people were dogging on him like most of the day on Twitter, like, ah, Tom Brady sucks. And then he like drops a freaking eagle or whatever it was. Uh, I don't know, whatever uh, two under par is. And just out of nowhere. And then he splits his pants. Like, like two weeks later. <laughs> like, the whole thing is just ridiculous. And I think it shows how thirsty we are for sports right now. Yes. Yeah, the, um, the whole ripping the pants thing, like people were all a Twitter about that on oh the Twitter. God. Yeah, it was pretty great. I, I wished, um, I love this, there's uh, an economist um, I follow on Twitter named Scott Linsicum, who I thought had a great comment uh, before the match started. He said, I really hope Peyton speaks in nothing but nationwide jingle song for the entire <laughs> right. round. You know, come on, Tiger, <laughs> sink this. But it's like, that's just great. Scream, like, Omaha, Omaha, Omaha. <laughs> just go, just go all in. And, yeah. and so my wife actually said to me um, the morning before the match, she said, well, you know, this is kind of like uh, they've it's, it's a one and four versus a two and three, because she's like, you know, Phil, Phil won the last one with tiger, but uh, Peyton's a better golfer than Brady. So apparently this was just sort of like <laughs> universally known that right. Peyton apparently was, uh, was supposed to be the better golfer going into this thing. So, you know, uh, tiger had the ACE in the hole, but apparently right. it's come down to the wire. Okay, well, let me ask you this. So let's let's do a quick scenario here. Let's say we've got Ryan Day and Kerry Combs, and uh, they're doing a charity sporting event where they have to essentially get outside of their niche. They cannot play football or or golf, frankly, because that's like sport B for college football coaches. Uh, they can't play football or golf. What sporting event should they have to tag along with pros to try to like perform adequately at? Yeah, yeah, I want to straight up see them in like. Uh, black top, 
basketball game, like that would be you know, sick. schoolyard asphalt. Somebody's going to get knocked to the I would actually chain really link fence. Because can you imagine Coach Coombs going into into that scenario? That that no. dude's ready to pop the That's top of his head off it. and go. You know, he always kind of reminds me of. You ever watch the uh, the, the movie? What's it called? Is it um, Inside Out? Where they have the little emotions in their head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The little emotions. And Lewis Black voices um, yeah, anger. anger. Yeah. It's hilarious. And his head just like explodes in the fire. Yeah. Like, that's what I think of with Coach Coombs, minus the anger part. It's just the uh, unparalleled, unmitigated energy, you know, going super scion. Yeah, so seeing dude. that on a basketball court. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. I really like that idea a lot because Carrie is the guy who, when you have a pickup game, right? Like he takes rebounding way too seriously. Yes. And so when he grabs the ball, he like throws elbows in 15 different directions, just in case anyone's within six feet yes. of them, like hoping to pop someone's like teeth out. <laughs> oh my God. Cause we've all played with that guy, right? We've all played with a guy who grabs the rebound just goes and just tries to hit somebody in the face and, once they have the ball. And I have no uh, idea what kind of basketball player Ryan Day is, but I picture him being the dad who has like this silky fadeaway jumper. Oh yeah, where everything else is like super like just janky, but then he's got the yeah. really yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I can there, see that. I, I kid you not, I played I played middle school football with this guy, and his dad um was like the stereotypical motorcycle dude. Like he just yeah. you know was always like these uh, you know kind of faded jeans and the biker jacket and. And he had this monster kind of handlebar mustache goatee combo. And you you would not expect this dude to be any kind of athlete, but this fadeaway jumper, <laughs> I, I mean, it was it was a thing of beauty. And so you're yeah. watching this kind of like broke down middle-aged dad just out here stroking this ball. I mean, it was wild. And that's I just picture Ryan Day having that like magical fadeaway jumper for some reason. I don't know some why. People- some people just have that. There was a kid I went to high school with named Mark uh, who was not on the basketball team. We And when I was in high school, we had a fairly successful basketball team. They were pretty good. Um, and But what they didn't have was like a good three-point shooter. And I remember Mark was in uh, gym class one day, and he's just draining threes just from all over the place. Just And I'm like, Mark, what the hell? Like, what? Do you, did you ever think about playing basketball? Like, no, nah, I don't play that crap. Screw that. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> he's like no no basketball is dumb and then he's just like swishing five threes in a row and i'm like what, what are you talking about he's like yeah i hate that it's like he was on the football team for I'm I, like, want, I wanted to play basketball so bad like that was the sport we went to high school football games when i was little but we went to high school basketball games like yeah. boys and girls oh sure the first the first time i was in the shot uh, no, no no not the shot uh, st john arena wash yeah. my mouth out first time i was in st john arena as a kid was for like a high school division three girls basketball tournament because Lynchburg clay, which is my mom's alma mater, mm-hmm. um, Lynchburg clay girls were in the state tournament. And so like we drove from Hillsborough up to Columbus to watch. And so we're sitting, you know, about three inches from the rafters sure. and it was the loudest, most intense experience ever. Like people get into high school basketball. And so my mom and dad love, 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 love basketball. And if yeah. there was a sport, their little boy, could have played and been good at it. That would have just made them. Well, you know, the only problem with that was that talent waved bye-bye to me long ago. Yeah. So I, I went out for the freshman ball club and I remember coach Barton, he was so nice. You know, you, you go through the week of camp and drills and so on. And then he, you know, brings you in afterward to tell you whether or not you made the team. And he's like, Andy, I have to tell you, you know, I've been coaching 
uh, freshman ball for 20 years and you are the most coachable player I've ever worked with. <laughs> Unfortunately, you have no talent to go with that coachability and I, and I, and I can't keep you on the team. I was like, I, That's unfortunate. I, I get it. I'm slow and unwieldy. What are you going to do? <laughs> well, and that was the thing. Like I, you know, I, I, I'm a fairly tall guy. I'm not like super tall, but I'm almost six two. And uh, I was six two when I was like in eighth, ninth grade. And so all my family was like, "Oh, Johnny, you got to, you got to play basketball." I'm like, "Why? <laughs> like I can't shoot. I can't dribble. <laughs> I can't pass. What are you talking about? Just because my height is not the only determinant factor about whether I should pick this sport up. I can't do any of the actual like skill based things that were required for this particular." athletic endeavor so i did not get into basketball although i have some family members uh, i got one actually uh my godfather uh is in the ohio basketball hall of fame um Whoa. yeah he uh he was a basketball coach for a very long time um he's great and i've got a cousin uh who is uh i think he i think he's he he coaches uh girls basketball and uh, i think he won a state title i can't remember when um but yeah, so there's a lot of basketball players, particularly on my mom's side. And uh, yeah, just that, that missed me super hard. So it skips a generation. That's, yeah, that's, that's all. Right. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. There you go. That's it. Um, okay. So just want to do a reminder real quick. Uh, the Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods store at 11warriors.com. That's drygoods.11warriors.com. Shirts, hats, stickers, all kinds of great things. Check it out. It's awesome. I would also like to remind you that Ask Us Anything uh, is something that you can do every week on the and you should questions, And you should, because we love answering questions. We absolutely love it. It's an essential part of the Dubcast. It's so much fun. Uh, send us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com, D-U-B-C-A-S-T at 11warriors.com, or hit us up on Twitter at 11dubcast. Our question this week, this is from Francis P. Francis P wants to know, you know, we talk about, I'm going to, I'm going to summarize his, his question here, but he says, uh, we talk about all these like big name out of conference opponents, you know, Notre Dame, Texas, even Washington, whatever. Who is a school or team that is not talked about? That is a tiny minor, like a Mac team or opponent that you would like to fill one of those other weekends for the out of conference <laughs> earlier in the season. So what is one That's of those funny. schools that you would love to see Ohio state just fill in, um, you know, in that early part. So a Youngstown state or a bowling, you know, one of those types of teams. Yeah, this is uh, a a few thoughts on that. The one I was, okay. my, my gut reaction initially, and then I realized this is a power five, school so it well, doesn't really fit the, the question as long as it meets you know I, if it's i, I was gonna, Kansas state k-state the wildcat silo tech and, and and it's selfish because in in you know my my day job is is working in agriculture so there are a few schools where i have either you know clients co-workers friends that are and a lot of them are at Big Ten schools. So I have a lot of friends and colleagues who are Wisconsin alumni or mm. Minnesota alumni. So that that's we very frequently Illinois is another one. I have quite a few. And then I have a lot of Iowa fans, even though Iowa State is the ag school. So um that one gets weird because if you grew up in the eastern half of the state, you know, and you're a hawk or you're a big football fan, you're a Hawkeye fan, but your kid there in agriculture went to Iowa State. But but Kansas State is the one like I don't know, is Ohio State even ever played K State? It's kind of a random uh, school, but I have a lot of people in my social circle who are K State fans. And that'd be kind of that'd be kind of fun to mix it up with uh with yeah. fighting Bill Snyders and 
Yeah, there was a. I don't know if Snyder was the coach during that Fiesta Bowl, but I think what was that? Two thousand three. Were they? That's right. That was yeah. That's right. Who was their quarterback? They had a quarterback who was like super legit. Um, that's gonna bug me. But that was a. I do remember because that was my that was my first uh, year as a student at Ohio State, and I was like super yeah. stoked. And they was like, "Oh, this would be cool." So yeah, Kansas State. I think that would be a fun rematch. Two thousand four Fiesta Bowl. Two thousand four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ohio State uh, won that one 35-28. Bill Snyder was the head Fantastic. coach. Ohio State was number five in the BCS, and K State was number ten in the BCS. See, they had that resurgence there right about that time. Yeah. Um. When when Coach Snyder came back and it was like, "Hey, Silo Tech's legit." Uh. Of course, Craig Krenzel and Santonio Holmes were were still on the the sideline. Right. Man, that was who was the quarterback was for time. Kansas State on that? Uh, Eli Robertson. There you go. Yeah, and he the, was or L Robertson. Eli name. L. I can't read the the text is too small. That's that's L. His name was L. Yeah. He, well, I think it was Eli, and he was getting some uh he was getting some Heisman hype at. Uh, some point during that season. So that was a good matchup. That was a good game. Um, well, there you I go. Would, I would select, I mean, I always stand for my Utah State Aggies. If, if Utah yeah, State, there you come, go. yeah, if Utah State could come to Ohio Stadium, I would like, I would die. And that actually, by the way, talking about out of conference games, we're like, ah, I don't want to see that game. I don't want to see Florida and but I'll <laughs> see Utah State. I will show up for Utah State. I will definitely buy that see Oh my gosh, B team. I will check those guys out in a second. Um, you know what? There has been so Utah State is definitely my choice. I also would like to see a Wyoming or a Montana or something like that come out. I think that would be really cool. Um, but we've had some pretty good not I was thinking about this. We have some pretty good non-marquee out of conference opponents that were fun to watch. Like when Hawaii came, I oh, love yeah, watching the good. Rainbow Warriors come to Ohio State. That was freaking great. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, I don't know. I they, you know, they've had some interesting ones in the past, even when Northern Illinois came, you know, they had, yeah. uh, God, they had that scat back. They had the running back. It was really great and, and put the fear of God in Ohio state for about a quarter and a half. I mean, that, I enjoy stuff like that. That's fun. So that's a so, really good question because I want them to get creative with some of that schedule. And, and Ohio state, this is, so you've got, uh, what Bowling Green and Buffalo and then the big trip to Oregon. Yeah, which Bowling Green and Buffalo, I feel like that they're a little played out. Like I've I've seen enough of those teams. We've, we've, I mean, BG, you'd expect, but we've, I've, we've I remember um, I think I was in the stadium when Khalil Mack made. Uh, oh, he was Taylor, sick that game. That dude he made, was, made Taylor he, Decker. You know, field. who ended up being you know Taylor Decker ended up being one of the best left tackles in the bit. And but that that game, I mean, Mack made him. Look, and I just remember sitting the people around me were like, "Oh my gosh, he's you know he's eating him." For, and then you realize later, oh, you know what? That's because Khalil Mack's pretty good at football. Yeah. Yes, he. But was... nobody had heard of him, you know, until that game. It seemed like. And... Right. No, well, some people were even saying like, "Well, it's funny because you're right. Like he was definitely like just a guy that you know people you know Phil Steele knew who Khalil Mack was. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But people. But he was Scott one of those guys where people him, are like but... doing the previews of these games, and going like, "Oh yeah, that guy's gonna be pretty good." Nobody mm-hmm. knew he was gonna dominate the way he did, and that was that was a hell of a thing to watch. That was actually really fun because Buffalo was decent. There was like a two year time span where they had like something going there. Um, and then that all fell apart, but, um, yeah, that was, that was an interesting one. And they've, you know, they will have, <laughs> I remember, uh, Boo Jackson, 
uh, of Ohio U playing uh, Ohio State in Ohio Stadium and, and scaring the crap out of Ohio State a little bit. Uh, that was fun too. I, you know, was that I the game where that, was that was that the game where the Bobcat took the shot at? Uh, yes, at Rubis. Okay. Was. So there are times when those tiny little out of conference opponents can actually be a lot of fun. I just think you have to be smart about who you schedule. Uh, but yeah, get Utah State in there. Let's bring the Rainbow Warriors back. I, I freaking love totally. that when they came. Of uh, their dope ass uniforms. Oh my god! Let's go back so to this cool. Khalil Mack deal because you 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 got me thinking about that. So that was in 2013, and Khalil Mack yeah. was so good that day that um, Saturday morning, August 31st, NFL.com publishes this story with the headline: Buffalo linebacker Khalil Mack has a head turning day against the Buckeyes, and and the lead was. Um, something to the effect that while the Buckeyes blasted the Bulls 40 to 20, Mac might have been the best player on the field in the horseshoe. And and uh, so he had nine and a half tackles, two and a half sacks, and an interception. And he returned 45 yards for a oh touchdown God. midway through the second quarter. That's yeah. pretty wild. That's yeah, pretty wild. It was ridiculous. He was tearing up Ohio State's offensive line. It was pretty, and uh, from the linebacker position, it's not like the dude, you know yeah, what I mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> like he's in coverage half the time so yeah that's that's silly and ridiculous and and that's fun you know and again sometimes you get interesting games like that sometimes you get uh i really actually hope um uh, panda andrew covers this at some point um in his series but the akron game where ohio state wins i think God, i cannot remember the year i think it was 2007 ohio state won 20 to two and uh the game was three to two at halftime <laughs> and it was i was at that game and it was miserable in every aspect i we got rained on the rain stopped it became 95 degrees and humid you saw like the steam rising up from the like from the turf it was awful um and it was just a horrific game to watch so hopefully we have fewer of those and more <laughs> interesting games that Ohio State still wins, but, you know, has something that we can kind of reflect on and take a look yeah. at. That's a good question. Thank you, Francis P., for sending that in. Well and, done. And, and keep sending those questions in. We love answering them. Um, anything to get us to the offseason, we really appreciate it. And, Andy, I appreciate you for another great dubcast. We'll be back next week uh, to, to hash more things out, see what's going on with the college football world and college sports world in general. Uh, but until then, I'm Johnny. I'm Andy. And we'll see you then.